Hey everyone, welcome to the Behind the Scenes Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Audrey. And on this podcast, we share the messy, honest, unfiltered, and not so curated parts of our life. Think of this podcast as a bunch of bloopers with some truth bombs sprinkled throughout. That's right. We're going to be taking you behind the scenes of our daily routines, our social media feeds, and what you may or may not have seen on TV. We're going to be talking relationships, family, faith, business, basically whatever we are learning about, fighting about, or laughing about lately. We're going to be sharing our daily life, our struggles, successes, and our roses and thorns from each week. And we don't want this podcast to just be about us. So we're also going to go behind the scenes with some of the people who inspire us the most. We hope this podcast feels like you're joining us for a campfire. Come hang out. We are so excited to have our first guest on the Behind the Scenes podcast, Christopher Hewerts. And the reason we're so excited to have him on the podcast is because he is an Enneagram expert. And if you guys have been following Jeremy and I, Jeremy and I for any length of time, you know how much we have been um, just in love with the Enneagram and obsessed with the Enneagram for the past year. And so Chris is bringing his expertise on the Enneagram to the show. He's trained under some of the great Enneagram masters, including Father Richard Rohr, Russ Hudson, Marion Gilbert, and Helen Palmer. And he now teaches the Enneagram in workshops and retreats around the world. Chris is an International Enneagram Association accredited professional. And him and his wife, Felina, and their puppy, Basil, live in Omaha. You are going to love this episode. And I think that your eyes will really be open to um, probably just a lot of things about yourself. And it might cause you to do some some soul searching. So we're excited to have Chris on the show. And we know you're going to love this. All right. We are sitting here with Chris Hewerts, the author of The Sacred Enneagram. Chris, we're really excited to jump into this conversation today. Aj and I have been kind of falling over the Enneagram for a couple months now, um, and we're, we're just super excited to have you on and really kind of dive into it a little more. Thanks so much for including me. Great to, great to be with you, too. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I think we'll start out with just kind of a couple kind of you know, 30,000 foot questions. I don't want to spend too much time on kind of the, you know, because anyone can go Google and, you know, search and read your book and kind of get um, get a good view of the Enneagram. But we'll just kind of debrief what it is a little bit here. So, babe, you want to? Yeah, well, first, Chris, I mean, we just love to give you the opportunity to give us a little background on like who you are and how you fell into the Enneagram and yeah, yeah. just give our, our listeners a taste of you and your life and your passion. Yeah, well, I live in Omaha, Nebraska, with uh, my wife Felina, and we uh, adopted a puppy a couple years ago, uh, named right him on. Basil, and we're a, a happy family of three here. <laughs> uh, nice. For 20 years, Felina and I were part of an international humanitarian organization, and, and and we lived and worked and traveled all around the world. and And the group that we are part of um, primarily was focusing on the anti human trafficking movement and uh, working with children who had been impacted by the global AIDS pandemic. And so right out of college, I, I moved to India and uh, helped, you know, this is in the, the, the mid-1990s, helped start the first pediatric AIDS care home in, in South Asia, the first home in those eight countries Wow, um, for kids who are orphaned because of AIDS or were born HIV positive or were sick themselves. Um, it was a great time of my life as, as well as a, a time of, of, of tremendous suffering because we were, were burying quite a few little kids who, who, um, 
had a really rough, rough go. And, and to see um, such innocent and tender little little hearts and bodies um, struggle and, and endure so much was, was, was overwhelming. How yeah. old were you? Wow. If this was straight out of college, you said, right? Yeah, I was, I was 22 years old. Oh, my wow. goodness. Wow. Uh, and so it was that's a, a lot a to lot. process and yeah. take in. Yes. <laughs> and, <sighs> and in addition to that, when I would get out of the city, I was, I was living in, in South India, I'd go up to, 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 to Calcutta in the North and then, um, do some, some volunteer work with mother Teresa and the missionaries of charity and, and actually would spend quite a bit of time in her house for the dying, which was essentially, um, hospice for, for folks that they had found. And, Wow. Wow. That's slums and streets and train stations. So it was, it was a really, it was a really, um, it was a lot going on in in my early twenties with this work. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, that's really neat mother. I mean, you know, spending time with mother Teresa, that's, that's a remarkable thing. Yeah. What a remarkable thing to be able to say. Yeah. Um, you know, she was remarkable spending (laughs) time with her, you know, under the circumstances was I'm sure tough just given the circumstances, Mm -hmm. but Nonetheless, what a opportunity! It's cool. Yeah, yeah, and and like all good mentors, of course, you know this. Um, I learned more from 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 watching her than than actually the things she mm-hmm. said and mm-hmm. and shared with me. I mean, she really, she really lived that's into awesome her values. So. Do what I awesome. do, not what I say. If yeah. that's just such a cool thing, legacy for someone to say about her. Yeah. So, how did you fall into? Enneagram and and all of that and come to write your now book Sacred Enneagram. Yeah, so um so we were part of that organization for 20 years and 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 my wife and I became the the co-directors of that and, and we built it out. It, it was pretty robust. Um it was really community focused and and you know we were were really the work was hard. You can imagine the work was, yeah. was was difficult. But I think what surprised a lot of us was sometimes the most difficult aspect of what we were doing was was living and working in community, trying to get along with with each other, trying to mm-hmm. to resolve our, our differences and and fight fair and and learn how to hmm. um, not take just you know the beauty of our flawed humanity personally, um, but but to make room for it and and so. I was visiting a friend who was working in the slums in Cambodia. Um, we were having having lunch one afternoon. This is this is about twenty years ago, actually. Hmm. And he actually asked me, "Have have I ever heard of this thing called the Enneagram?" And, and I hadn't. And as he began to describe this to me, of course, I pushed back. I, I was like, "This isn't real. You're making this <laughs> yeah, up, man." Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he kept at me, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take it. So. Traveling back to the states, I stopped in Long Beach to see a friend. I was sitting at his desk, um, trying to, to to sort of sift through my jet lag. I got online and, and and took as many of the online tests that I could back then. Averaged out all the results, sent them to my friend back in in Phnom Penh, and he was like, "Man, you're you're doing this wrong." And he asked me a question, and 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 very specifically, it was about how I related to to my mother, and and what he was doing was he was sort of holding up the so-called childhood wounds of the Enneagram as, as sort of a mirror to myself to help me maybe yeah. discern or, yeah. or bring forward my type. Well, at that moment, everything, everything changed. And, um, the, the Enneagram became a real important tool in our community. Um, but it was still years later that I, 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 I finally began to, to, to train, um, started training with father Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan friar in New Mexico. And, um, and um and then started to um 
pick up advanced trainings um, at the Enneagram Institute and and, and the narrative tradition. So you like dove right in. Um, I, it took me a minute, but yeah, when I said yes, I, uh, I, I started, I mean, really, I started chasing down all the greats, all the great living teachers. And so I've, I've trained and studied under Sandra Maitri and Michael Goldberg and Beatrice Chestnut, uh, Helen Palmer and Russ Hudson. It's been, it's been a real gift. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So such a crazy. So story. I think before we even hear more, what give us a brief overview overview of kind of what the Enneagram is, you know, so a lot of people that are listening to this podcast have never heard of it or don't know how to pronounce. Yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So like hearing 30, feet hearing view. the brief 30,000 foot view um, definition from you, I think would be really beneficial. So why don't you give that for us? For sure. So so first of all, even even the word itself, Enneagram, it, it actually comes from from two Greek words, enia, which is the number for nine, and gram, which is is where we pull an English diagram. And so it's a, a nine-pointed or, or, or nine-aspected illustrated image or diagram. Okay. Now, what the Enneagram has become in the last 40, 45 years um, has become a, a human character structure tool. The, what we're specifically working with, most of us, in, in 2018 is the Enneagram of personality. We're, we're, we're taking an overlay and we're saying, actually, this, this tradition, this teaching, this old symbol that, that, that for, for, for maybe centuries, if not millennia, was actually a process teaching, process tool. When you bring it into how we look at our sense of self, how we look at who we think we are, how we try to understand our, our personality as the masks that we wear, well, then the Enneagram of personality says that there's nine ways of, of becoming the most beautiful version of ourself. There's mm. there's nine ways that we all suffer not being loved and in, in, in the ways that we want to be loved. And that there's nine ways that we've forgotten who we are, that we've forgotten our, our essence and the gift and the purpose of our presence and, and being. Mm. So it's a it's a tool for well, it's yeah, a tool a for understanding, right? So self yes. self intern or uh, self reflecting, right? Mm-hmm. Self reflecting, but really, I, I would say self remembering, hmm. right? Oh, interesting. We're, we're yeah, all born to great... bring a gift forward into the into the into the world. Yeah. But at a certain point in in our infancy, we we lost contact. We lost touch with that. And if we can understand that gift that we were born with is is really the the raw material of our essence, our true self. And what the Enneagram tries to, to show us is that we've all lost contact with our gift, with our essence. And, mm, so. and, and then we spend the rest of our lives suffering that loss of contact. And how do we suffer? Well, we create identities, personalities, masks that, that we fasten um, to our, 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 our sense of self to keep us stuck or lost uh, hmm, or, or blinded. Yeah. Yeah, which right. is, which which is why this is such That's a valuable so much, yeah. tool because it brings. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it brings us back to who not only we are, but who we were created to be. The best version of ourselves. The best version of ourselves. But right. you gotta yeah. you gotta go through a lot to get, <laughs> to there, get there. But you have to be willing to do yeah. the legwork. Yeah, I, I so love I it. love Chris. I mean, if you could, I know this is probably you might have done this a thousand times. You probably have, but if you could oh, yeah, just give cool. like a quick one sentence overview of each number so our listeners can kind of like at least get a just a summary of like the different types yeah 
Sure. So, so there's a couple of ways that that we can we can run around the circle and look at these nine types and and this even this language type this word type it, it, it's it's speaking to one of the the let's say the impressions of human character structure or, or personality styles. Hmm. Now, when I learned this, I, I like I said I learned this um, really from my first teacher, Father Richard Rohr, and and he had learned this from the Jesuits and and in the the early days of the Enneagram of personality. The Jesuits would frame it like this. Type one is the need to be perfect. Type two is the need to be needed. Type three is the need to succeed. Type four is the need to be again. I'm sorry. Type four is the need to be unique. Type five is the need to understand. Type six is the need to be secure. Type seven is the need to avoid pain. Type eight is the need to be against. And type nine is is the need to avoid. Hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a good okay. way to... <laughs> so those are really brief, really... Yeah, totally. ...high-level kind of things. And um, in, in Audrey's and my research, you know, like, we, you know, we've... It's just, you know, those are super high level, but man, can you get, can you get deep yeah. into these? Um, <laughs> yeah. So we've found that, well, actually, first of all, before we go into what we feel like we are, you know, in order to figure out your number, we've read and you've suggested, you know, the best way to figure out your number, you know, we've found is to, to read, read about. to read about it with people you love and that you're close to, mm-hmm. um, and then we've also read that the test online's great, but I know there's several of them. Would you want to tell us and the people like what's the best way to figure out your number in your opinion? Sure. So, so yes, um, there are a lot of folks in the professional community who get a little fussy and grumpy about the tests, yeah, and, yeah. and they think the tests are really an unhelpful way to bring your type forward. Just because you know this, every test is going to have. It's, it's cultural, it's racial, even it's type bias. And, and these inherent bias um, are, are going to sort of shape what the tests result on. Secondly, we, we, we like to test the tests. We, we like to try to figure totally. out what mm-hmm. we're supposed yeah. to say or who we want to be or how we want to, to be projected as. So, so if you're going to go after a test, and, and I don't discourage people from taking the tests, but if you're going to go after a test, I think the Enneagram Institute's test, the RETI, R-A- H-E-T-I hmm, yeah. is probably the best one out there. It, okay. it costs a little bit, but it's worth it. Yeah, and I think it's like 12 bucks or something. Yeah, it's, it's 12, pretty cheap. It's though. 12 bucks. That's the one we took. Yeah. 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 These folks have done their homework. They've 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 continued to to tighten and perfect this over the years. Hmm. And, yeah. And it's pretty, pretty reliable. So if you're awesome. gonna take a test, the ready test by the Enneagram Institute is the best way to do it. Um, <clears throat> but leveling up from that, would you agree that? kind of discussion among community with friends, with loved ones, with people that know you the most, uh, would that be, yeah, that be a great so, way. So I will say this about the test too, just, just a caution. Yeah. The, the tests are only designed to bring forward or highlight your dominant type. Yeah. So don't get confused if they, they sort of show you how all, all your types tested out or scored out or how it's stratified or stacked. just look at the first number. And and if that doesn't land, if that doesn't feel right, if you feel like that just isn't getting at it, um, then either find another test and and give it another go. Or like you said, I I, I do think um, reading the thick descriptions of each of the types Mm -hmm. uh, with real real compassion for yourself, 
um, generally allows one of them to to sort of show itself to us. Now, I I, I sort of joke around that it, it's the one that 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 you least want to be. Yeah. It's the one that hurts the most. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. The most humiliating to your ego. That's probably getting close. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, find a teacher, find a, a school that you 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 believe in, and and read their descriptions of the type. That always helps. But you're also right. Yeah. I, I do think this. I, I think working with somebody who knows you working with somebody who's who knows themselves and has actually been working on themselves with this tool for a while yeah yeah mm-hmm. is is a real safe and gentle and and again compassionate way to to sort of help bring type forward that's good so i think this is a good segue real quick let's so audrey when did we find out about this enneagram when's the first time we did this probably almost a year ago maybe a year and a half yeah, yeah. so and, we're pretty new still <laughs> we're pretty new but we've we've been pretty hot on it specifically audrey for quite a while and one of those reasons is cuz it's been it's been immensely useful for how audrey and i understand one another how we interact with one another and the outside world but specifically inside our own marriage and our own relationship mm-hmm. i'm like i can finally understand why audrey is doing this mm-hmm. or or why she's not doing this mm-hmm. and likewise with Audrey now you know we've kind of established for sure that Audrey's an eight right babe? yeah there was not really a lot of question no for question me, it was kind of like a year and a half ago when I was with some friends talking about it I was like yep that's me there was no yeah and doubts <laughs> and we established that I was a five for sure and we kind of had no we doubt were locked in on we were that locked in on that we were diving in and discussing and then it wasn't until chris we spoke on the phone you know a few weeks With ago you and time. you challenged us to make sure we're not misdiagnosing before we have you on the podcast before we have you on the podcast <laughs> and and so we dove in and for some reason a light turned on and we were like oh my goodness jer you're you're not a five you're a nine and then as we read the nine I started just like my heart started sinking a little bit more because I'm going to be honest, I didn't really like what I wanted to be a five. (laughs) And so my question is kind of, you know, can you change? I know you can't change numbers specifically like in this amount of time, but is there a sense of growing in and out of them? Are you have you always been a number what you know? Can you kind of talk about that real and quick? And talk a little about mis misidentifying misdiagnosing. Yeah, because we misdiagnosed totally, and then now with all clarity, we're like, whoa! Like, you know, it. You know, we're pretty sure that I'm a nine. Yeah. Now we're, we're like ninety nine percent sure now. Yeah. Um, so we, I misdiagnosed, and that, is that common? I mean, it's just it's so interesting. Yeah. So yeah, this is super duper normal and, and, and really, really common. Um, you know, the, I would say that the general consensus is, is that most of, of the folks out there believe that you're born your type, hmm, that yeah. this is nature, not nurture. And, and I really make that option because I, I, I really do believe that that we are purposed, that we are born to bring a gift forward. And yeah. that's not accidental, that we need you. We need every one of you to show up, mm-hmm. to, to reconnect with your essence, to, to find alignment with with the reason and the why that, that you're here. Because all of our lives matter and, and there is an urgency of our presence to, to help heal the world and to help nurture and nourish the new we that, that I think we're all yearning, yearning yeah. to be included in. Right. That's mm-hmm. yeah. That's so, so you're, good. I think you're born your type. And, and, and I think that's important because 
I, I think this is really important, especially for, for parents or young parents out there. If you're born your type, then the so-called childhood wounds that you will sometimes see in the Enneagram aren't really wounds. You're, you're, you're not wounding your children and, and, and causing them to become a kind of person. Hmm. Um, my sense of these so-called childhood wounds is that they're really sort of confirmation bias of our type to the youngest, tenderest parts of our ego when, when, we're, when we're too small to have the, the psychological capacity to accu- accurately narrate our reality and when we don't have language or, or the kind of memory that will, will actually give us, I think, um, a, 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 a truthful snapshot of what these, I think, real tragic misunderstandings were. Hmm. So, so interesting. I think you're born your type. I think you stay your type. Um, but this, 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 this conversation on mistyping, it's, it's actually, I do quite a bit of one-on-one work with people. And, and a lot of it is in fact, helping people discern between a couple, two or three types. And, and there are very typical pairs that would mistype. So nines and fives, hmm. really, really, really common. Yeah. And in fact, Nines are, are are probably the most frequent number that would mistype, and and this is for a few reasons. First, because nines and fives are are both sort of in Karen Horney's um, grouping here, which Claudio Naranjo brought together in in the Hornavian groups. Well, they're whoa, both whoa. in the de- detached <laughs> or withdrawn social style, right? Mm. So fives <laughs> sort of step back in relationship, but, but they're doing this for, for security. Nines step back in relationship because they're doing this for, for inner autonomy. Nines are really good at taking care of everybody else's drama, everybody else's business. They're, they're really good at harmonizing, meeting, arbitrating the exterior world. They just don't want somebody poking around under, under their own under their hood, own hood and, and, yeah, in their own heart. Uh-huh. And so they, they take care of themselves. They, they don't need a lot of um, nurturing or, or protective care. They, they've they learned to do this um, in their early holding environments for themselves. And and so it it's hard to understand this if, if you're not an autonomous style here. Yeah. But when the nine actually has a sense of, of, of power and control and autonomy over him or herself, they're actually able to give more of themselves back. Right. Yeah, definitely. This, um, go ahead. So I was just, so like, but there is a lot of stuff about the nine that, for example, like I, I'm not, I don't necessarily enjoy. And I feel like now that I've correctly <laughs> identified as a nine, I almost have a greater understanding of what I want to do to change. Whereas a five, mm-hmm. I was kind of comfortable. Like, yeah, I'm a five. It's okay. Like, you know, let's just, let's figure this out. But now that I'm a nine, I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, I want to get to work on this, this and this. I want to mm-hmm. lead here. I almost feel less pleased with myself. And I it's just an interesting feeling <laughs> I didn't think I would have. But like if someone wants to change areas, like kind of, you know, is there a way to like it's just an interesting idea of like I I want to almost change some parts of my number. So how do I move forward with that? Like. Yeah. So this is that's so a that's loaded also, question. That's a loaded question, totally. But <laughs> well, it, this is all I, like new. I just found out I'm a nine here. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. So so hey, one more thing about that yes, nine yeah. and, and nines mistyping. Look, nines are so understanding and, and they really do get everyone in their lives. Mm-hmm. And and this comes from the 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 so called childhood wound of the nine, which was was a wound of of minimizing what was important to them as a way of offering love to what was important to the people in, in their early holding environment. So that mm. may have been a, a parent or a caregiver, a, a sibling. 
And, and, and what the nine did was, in a sense, they, 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 they scanned their environment. They said, hey, these things are actually more pronounced or, or need more attention than what I need. And, and so rather than forgetting what I want, I'm going to sort of ball it up and I'm going to put it in my back pocket and I'm going to leave it there. And, and that contact, because it, let's say it's in my back pocket, will constantly remind me that it's there. And this is this, this mental fixation of the nine, which is sometimes called rumination. But it was really your attempt as a little kid to just be more loving, to be more selfless. Mm-hmm. The problem was, is you were sacrificing yourself. You, you, I'm not saying this about you. I'm saying in general for nines, yeah. you weren't loving yourself completely. And so, so to your question, it's also a very normal, common human question. We all allow some of the fragments of our identities to lay claim to the whole of who we think we are or, or lay claim to the whole of who we want to be. Wow. And that's because a lot of us don't welcome every part of ourself. Um, that's because a lot of us don't actually know how to offer compassion to every part of ourself. Mm. That's because we maybe we weren't given sort of a fair shake at, at what love really meant because in some of our, our, our early holding environments, we, we thought that loving ourselves was narcissistic or selfish. Yeah. Or, or maybe some of us who were socialized in, in religious communities um, had the mistake that, that we, you know, I, I think this is true, that, 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 we're, that God is not as hard on us as we are on ourselves. And we internalized that. And, and, and we took the parts of ourselves that we thought weren't acceptable or didn't have permission to be all they were. And, and we minimalized or, or marginalized them. So, so there is aspects yeah. of each type that, that we're all going to have a little discomfort with. But man, when those things are unearthed and unsettled, those are really the the first things we get to work on. Those are the first sort of invitations to wholeness or sort of on-ramps to grace or sort of man, the I, sort of bookmarks of, of reminding us of what we've forgotten about the best of ourselves. I feel so like good. this is, this so is immense. I mean, it's just, I feel, I've never even remotely, it's kind of funny because now that like I know about the Enneagram, I'm thinking like, what did I do before this to understand things about me and my life? You and, forgot. That, well, yeah, that's, that's a nice feature. You I know, neglect. but like in general, like what do people do? I mean, it's like, it's just so, this is so valuable. And I think one thing we really wanted to get across in this in this episode here is is specifically convincing people of the value of of just realizing these things about yourself and you're, you know, figuring out what number you are so that you can press into the things you don't like, press into the things that you are mm-hmm. and become a healthy version of yourself. And in a couple of minutes, we're going to, you know, we're going to get into kind of a little bit more of the, the wings and the triad and just we'll briefly go through that because, you know, your book has so much good stuff to say about all that. But before that, I think I'll I think I, I also think I've, I don't know if I, where I've heard this, but I think a lot of times as believers or Christians, like people can be kind of poo-poo on personality tests and like have some negative things to say about it. But I think like one thing that I've loved about the Enneagram is that like it doesn't put you in a box. It shows you the box that you're already in and how to get out of it. And that's not my quote, but I read that somewhere and I was like, oh, I just love that because it's so dynamic. It's not limiting. It's just like this deep well of like, insight so that you can figure out yourself so that you can then figure out how to use 
your skills and your personality and your strengths and all of that to like be the man or woman of God that you were created to be. So that's yeah. one reason that I love it. This is so interesting. For sure. And and actually Sandra Matry, that one of the 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 great um the great authors on, on, on sort of an interspiritual aspect of the Enneagram's passions and fixations says something to that effect. She says, look, type is, is essentially the prison walls that we've incarcerated our souls in. <laughs> and, and some of us really actually love to describe the walls, the, the thickness, the texture, the color. And, and, and so you're right that, that at a certain point, sort of obsessing with type is, is still missing the point. Yes. It it is actually giving more power to personality than essence, mm-hmm. but but you know this word personality comes from from the word persona, which means mask. And and, and here's the bummer: I, I think most of us would would rather wear the mask. Most of us would would we want to keep it fastened, and we don't want to wake up, and we don't want to do the hard work of, of coming back home to our true selves. But but I say this all the time. To, to unearth buried treasure is dirty work. Mm-hmm. And, and if you really want to get in there and, and, and get your hands dirty, it's, it's messy. It's stinky. Yeah. It's, it, it's not easy. And you will be figuratively speaking, an awful sweaty mess be, before <laughs> you even get close, even get close, but you have to stay at it. It's and, like and a scary a really thing. Tool. It's yes. like a scary, it's, it's so good and so useful, but it's just as scary and just as hard. Yeah. You know, to to, mm-hmm. to press in, but kind of like how the nines, you know, almost want to like drift through life. You know, I feel like nines would be the most, I don't want to say rejecting, but fearful, I guess, of pressing in. Was that what? Well, look, when when nines are centered, when when right, nines are rooted, right? This this the, their unobstructed view of reality, and, and this is what. Hamid Ali calls our Enneagram's holy idea, right? This unobstructed view of reality, seeing the world as it should be, even if it's not yet. For the nine, that's that's holy love. Mm-hmm. And for the nine, they're they're born to be a source of of love, acceptance, embrace, inclusion. And so, yes, you're right. There's something terrifying about that. Hmm. Um, because this unstoppable force of of love is 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 how we know and experience the divine in, in all the great world religions mm. right yeah a very sacred text that tells us that god is love and, mm-hmm. and so this is one of the important roles that the nine plays is is the reminder of our inherent intrinsic dignity and value that it's ascribed not earned and, and that's what mm. love does it, oh, yeah. it always Th- offers. this is so interesting because I, my mind well my yeah that's very well said my mind keeps going to like the church, right? Like if we're born kind of a specific way, we're born with our spiritual gifts, you know, and we're supposed to bring those, we're supposed to live into those and press into those for the, you know, the body. And I don't know, my brain is just making a weird connection here with like the body of Christ. And this is a total tangent side thing, but (laughs) I I, I just keep thinking about that every time you're talking about being fearful of pressing in, you know, um, having to learn about it. Uh, you, you know, so that it can be beneficial, but then there's, I don't know, maybe that's a whole tangent there. My, <laughs> that's my brain's running with that, but, yeah. um, but anyways, well, the imagery is good and it's important imagery for a nine because eights, nines, and ones are, are, are what are called the gut types or the instinctive types and, in, in, in this way of processing and, and perceiving reality. And, hmm. 
of the eight signs and ones, these three body types, the nine is actually the most disconnected from, from their own body. And so any totems, any symbols that, that, that actually help you get back into your body um, are, are, are going to be really powerful to, to work with, to pray with, to, to bring into your contemplative or Very meditative interesting. practices. So what about like a nine and an eight? Yeah. So, okay. So we're, you know, we're just, we're curious. And I think our listeners will be curious too. Just like, first of all, like, I'd love to ask you, like, is there, are there numbers that are more, I hate to use the word compatible, but are there numbers that are more compatible or less compatible? And what do you think about our pairing of numbers, like eights and nines and how, what would be some of our strengths and some of our pitfalls? Sure. So I, I don't think that it's, it's like that, that, you know, there's magnetic poles and, and, and there's sort of the anti-pole yeah. um, with numbers. I, I think there are some numbers that, that have natural resonance with one another because there's sort of a, a shorthand of understanding. And so you would see this, let's say with ones, fours and sevens, they're, they're all, a type of frustrated idealist. And <laughs> what happens is when they're together, they they can sort of go on vacation from their own frustration while still admiring the idealism of the other. And and so you see that. Um you know, I you know, eight signs and ones, these are our, our body types. There's 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 a, a shorthand there. Um there's there's all different ways to see the really the gifts and and the challenges in any two of these these numbers coming together. Now for an eight, you know, and if and if somebody out there doesn't doesn't know what the eight is, the eight is sometimes called the the challenger, um, the the contrarian. Yeah. The eight is is the, the type who hates bullies, but they sometimes can be the biggest bully. <laughs> and, and this is also a, a malformed part of their their own tenderness. This is also how they're sort of suffering to be loved. Because in the AIDS childhood, they, they, they felt like something had to be sacrificed. Some part of them had to grow up. And, and in that acceleration, there was a, a snapshot, a glimpse of their own innocence that was lost. Hmm. And so what AIDS do then as, as, as young adults and into their adulthood is, is they, they really put this tough, really driven, um, strong, initiating energy out there to, to protect yep. their own vulnerability. And, and what they, they do then is just like all of us in, in nine different ways, they project that they project that outside of themselves. And so eights very typically will, will be incredible, um, champions of, of the underdogs. They'll, mm. they'll be incredibly compassionate for folks who've been marginalized. They'll, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll somehow just melt around children or, or puppies. <laughs> And not simply because of sheep, child yeah. or the tenderness of, of anything is reminding the A of their own tenderness, their own innocence, that it's okay, that if you bring that out, you're you're not weak. In fact, that's where your strength lies. Mm. Oh, but that's so interesting. Eights would rather, and I say this all the time, we would rather use transparency as a hustle for vulnerability. We, we'd rather uh-huh. try to scare you off by telling you all the terrible things about us or, or, or pushing and, and provoking and teasing and sassing than to really be vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? Because this word vulnerable comes from the Latin oh. word for wound and to be vulnerable means to be woundable. And, and for an eight, whatever their perception of what was lost in their childhood is an ongoing wound and it's a wound of their innocence. And so look, don't, don't, Pick on your friends who are eights. They're, <laughs> yeah, they're not yeah. bullies. 
they're just protecting the vulnerability outside themselves that they feel is being exploited or taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. So for an A, it's it's really coming back to your own vulnerability. It's 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 actually finding your own tenderness. It's be re it's being reintroduced to your inner child, right? Yeah, and I mean, I one of the things that really hit home with me and my number is when I was reading about it, what feels like intimidation to you feels like intimacy to an eight. And for me, like that was like, oh my gosh, that's so, that is me. Like for me, conflict is connection because if I can ask people the hard questions and I can like kind of push their buttons a little bit, I get to see what they're really made of. And I get to then like have this moment of, of connection, even if there's conflict in the course of it, it usually leads to like intimacy and resolve because I don't know if this is an eight thing either, but I'm also like very much, especially in our own marriage, like the resolver, like I might engage in conflict, but then it has to have closure. It has to have, you know, some sort of resolve. I won't let it like linger on. <laughs> yeah, where I can you know, just forget it. Whereas Jeremy just is like, and then ask, never mind. Ask Audrey where we're going to dinner. Like nothing happened. Exactly. Yeah. And yes, so that happens all so the time. That, yeah, I I sometimes say that 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 um, conflict or or sass or or provocative like the provocative nature of the A is, is their love language. It, it is how they build trust. It is how they subconsciously test people. And, and, and they're testing, I, 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 I try to describe it like this. They're, they're, they're testing the thickness of the ice between them and their conversation partner. So yes, if, if, I, if I mess with you a little bit, if I, if I come across a little bit too aggressive, if I'm a little bit too inappropriate, is this going to break the ice? Because let's break the ice now. Let's get this over with so that, you don't hurt me, betray me, walk away from me later on when you find out there's so much more inside the intense little heart of, of the eight, right? Mm-hmm. So for an eight and a nine, that's that's got to be um, lots of fun for, oh. for the people in your life to observe. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, because the eight is, 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 is really one of the, the, the most aggressive, if not the most aggressive of of the enneagram types and, and the nine is is really one of the most withdrawn and and they're sometimes perceived to be detached of the types so and, and so i want to hang you, out here a little bit and talk about yeah. this because that has manifested manifested itself in literally every single area of our relationship. like even from when we were dating the walls audrey had up um you know and all the way and now, like marriage, of course, like all of our fights, I tend to handle them in a very methodical, thoughtful, calm, non-reactive. I do very not react. Patient, super patient, almost <laughs> to the point where patient. frustratingly, almost to the point where I might even forget about it. But then I'll come up with a solution. But it'll be like two weeks later, and I'll pick up the conversation like, <laughs> like it and was then, just and, and that drives Audrey mad. And in the same way, I. I can't tell you how many times we've gotten in a heated discussion and I'm like, babe, you need to control yourself and calm down. We need to tone down a little bit, you <laughs> yeah. know, because her, escalating her escalating, voice. you know, intimidation tactics drives me mad. And so it just pushes him Enneagram, further to shut down. Yeah. And this, um, again, I'm getting circling back to the value of the Enneagram because like knowing this about one another has been immensely helpful for like, conflict for resolution, conflict resolution for sure yeah even for like our goals and dreams and like how we approach them and tackle them and you know Aj and I we work together 
you know, we do we spend all day to, with one another. So figuring out how we work together or interact with one another has been immensely valuable. Um, so yeah, that's just a little note on the value. Yeah. Of it. So there's so much we we could do here with eights, eights and nines. Because all right, first of all, if anybody sort of you know from the outside looks at the enneagram, they would think like like I've said that the eights are, are maybe um, the type with the the most presence, and, and there is a drive there, and and that drive, like you said, could be the drive towards resolution, whatever it is. Yeah. Eights hate to be slowed down. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, now the funny thing about the nines is they 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 That's they totally look odd. and appear to sometimes be passive, but actually um, there is a sort of rumble, like the slow lava of anger that's always sort of <laughs> burning in their belly that they've they've hidden from themselves. And, and so what we 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 always forget about the nines is there's a, a profound sort of stubbornness there. Mm-hmm. And when you really try to figure this out, it, it's hard to know who's stronger here. If the eight is is really as strong as they come across, or if this is just the protection of their oh, own vulnerability, or if the nine is is strong as as strong as as they come across, and sort of this meandering, deliberative sort of rooting in. And, and and so when you get that stubbornness and that drive and and they collide, yeah, wow. Watch of out. course there's going to be sparks. Yeah. Now, how do we how do we contend with those? Um there's 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 another overlay in the Enneagram called the harmonic groups. And the harmonic groups are our conflict resolution, but it's also our conflict avoidance styles. Hmm. And this is really funny for eights because um the conflict avoidance style for the eight is is actually it's it's a reactive style. It's a discharging of what's frustrating them. They they just got to get it off their chest. They just have to to smash the horn, say the curse world, just bark whatever their opinion is, and and once they 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 discharge it, they're fine. It's like I I don't have to fight about that. I just had to say it. Totally, Audrey. But everybody else doesn't feel like that's a conflict avoidance style. Everybody else feels like they're being baited and drawn into conflict. Yeah, yeah. 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 So the bummer for the nine is their conflict avoidance style is positive outlook, which is a kind of reframing. And so here comes the eight and it's like, that son of a gun just cut us off. Oh, yeah. And the Absolutely. nine might say, oh, I, I don't think they saw you. Oh, there's always <laughs> another yeah. side. Yeah. Always another way to see it. And that just makes it harder for the eight who then will come back with. But it makes their it. Style. <laughs> and then for me, I'm like, calm down. Like. I'll almost, you know, hit a cone or whatever it is, or like get really close to, you know, a telephone pole, you know, knowing I'm in control of the car. I just, it's so funny you brought up the car example because this happens, this happened on the way here to the office. Yeah. I I got really close to a fence and Odge. I reacted. She reacts and I'm like, why can't you calm down knowing, you know, it's okay and everything's fine. Um, everything's just always fine for Jer. Like it's just, it's not, nah, it's nothing is a big, if like we got in a motorcycle accident, oh, it's just, it's but fine. But do, do like, I need no, to be, no to, to be healthy for us, do I need to be a little bit more assertive or does Audrey need to calm down a little bit more? Like where do we find this pursuit of, yeah. this uh, pursuit of compatibility? If you will, therapy well, for, do therapy with us for a minute. <laughs> no. Yeah, so when Audrey, when you, Audrey, discharge what's, bumming you out, frustrating you, where what, what, what's just sort of pulling on uh, on your last nerve. Um, that's actually how AIDS attempt to sort of self 
soothe. This is how we we try to calm ourselves down. Like I said, just got to get it off our chest. Yes. Like, They're yes, verbal. Stop driving so close to the fence. Yeah. yeah. That's it. They're going to be fine. They just said what they needed to say. Yep. Let go of it um, then. Yeah. But, 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 but what do I here's need to how say? we do this when, when, when an eight brings that, that, that the reactive discharge of energy out and a nine naturally will counter with a, a reframing or a positive outlook or, Hey, it could have been worse or, Hey, we're fine. What we need to do is we always need to learn to receive each other's first response and then work with it. So, Oh, interesting. If, if you receive Audrey's response, like, Hey, you're right. I almost hit that fence. Such a, why did I do that? Then, oh my. then she's going to be like, seriously. But then it's as if you've established the trust because she feels heard <laughs> and you can put your arm around her and say, but we're okay. Yeah. And that was a close yeah. one. Yeah. Now let's oh. sort of find our center again. And Audrey, when he maybe comes at a situation with, with sort of what you might think is sort of pie in the sky perceptions, or maybe an exaggerating or a apple polishing. And you think he's not really seeing it <laughs> yeah. as he should. You, you have to learn to receive that as well. Like, Oh, you're right. It, it could be a lot worse. And, and if he feels hurt and trusted, it's like you put your arm around him and, and then you can step forward and say, but Hey, we do need to Remember, yes. And, and the first step is always the receiving. Yeah, the first as a way step. Of embrace That's the receiving really good. as a way of connecting, because then the second step can bring clarity. Mm-hmm. Okay, that right there is really good. The first step in how we react to our partners will plot the direction for the second, third, and fourth step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we always want to. Actually, you're right. We always want to get to the third and fourth step, but um. We have to know that it's safe to even go that far in, in conflict and in conversation and in, in, in becoming vulnerable with each other. So you're, it's just learning to receive what the other one gives. And, and one of my teachers, Wes Hudson, he'll, he'll call these styles, these conflict avoidance styles, he calls them love offerings. That yeah, that's so good. The eight discharges, that's their love offering. It's like a Because gift. on a subconscious level, they're saying, I actually don't want to fight about this. So just let me get it off my chest. When the nine offers their gift, this love offering of, of positive outlook, they're also saying, look, I, I, I don't want to fight, so let's not go there. And so if we can learn to receive the love offering, that's part of building intimacy or trust. But we, we have to realize this, that, that these, these love offerings, these gifts are still malformed and, and we all need the other perspectives. And, 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 and so in receiving the gift, now you have, let's say, earned the ability to offer an alternative perspective. So good. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I so feel like we, we need to camp out here forever. We but. need to learn to receive each other's, you know, sure. Like your response could be overly reactive and mine could be overly unreactive, but at the same time we're offering a gift to, to one another and we need to learn to receive each other's Mm-hmm. Uh, responses as gifts or whatever it is, you know. Of course, that's broad, broad. Middle. That's broad brushstrokes mm-hmm. there, but like yeah. that's such a good approach. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. The other thing that I, I think it, eights and nines in in intimate relationships um, can can build off of is is you both do have a fundamental social need for autonomy, and and so there is a sense of respecting each other's space and, and what can be really healthy in that is, is, is 
there's there, there may not be sort of the typical kind of emotional fusion where you lose your sense of self in one another. Um, and, and so if you can really own who you are, your, your, your gifts, your strengths, what's beautiful and fabulous about you, um, you're, you're, you're really capable of bringing two distinct persons into the relationship, which of course is, is more than the sum of its parts. The, the problem, or let's say, I'm sorry, let's say the challenge of, of two folks in relationship who, who, who need autonomy also may sometimes mean that there could be barriers for, for, for asking for what you want and what you need and, and barriers for actually allowing yourself to receive what you really want if you feel like it's safe to bring that forward. And then you may also have um, some challenges uh, around negotiating intimacy because just because you, you have this need for autonomy doesn't me mean that intimacy isn't important to you. It just means that you see it very differently. And we, we see it hmm. differently from nine perspectives. Um, but for the eight, it has to be safe. Hmm. And, and for the nine, it, it has to be, um, it ha there has to be a unity in it. There has to be a healing of what's been fragmented. Um, this is for, so for valuable. To, to feel like intimacy is, is going to actually lead to flourishing in, in a relationship. Really, really good stuff, Chris. Okay, we want to ask, we, just, we didn't really dive into this too much, but I think a lot of people... Um, we kind of poll our audience and we get a lot of questions about this whenever we talk about the Enneagram and that is the whole concept of the wings. So yes. how do you, can you be a wing that's from what the way I understand it, your wing is either up a number or down a number. So how do you determine your wing and just, do some people not have wings? Um, yes. Good question. And and sorry, Audrey, I do want to say this too, because I have so much compassion um, for female eights, oh. <laughs> um, especially in religious communities, because I, I think it, it may be one of the hardest types to be. Uh, a, a female eight, that is? Um, a female eight, that is? Or an eight? A female eight. A female eight. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're often not allowed to, to bring their whole selves. They, they, they sometimes show up and, and, and can really be threatening to specifically men who who don't know themselves or who uh, don't know how to interact with a powerful strong woman and um hmm, yeah and so that's it's it's one of the the types out there that um hmm. we have to, to really honor and make room for and uh yeah that's that's interesting good for you audrey get get at it oh, get yeah. at it <laughs> keep, at, keep oh, at it there we go because she is at it oh, <laughs> oh man yeah so the you. wings um I joke around that the Enneagram is worse than religion when it comes to sort of its doctrinal or denominational or sort of theoretical divides. <laughs> um, Interesting. And and it's funny because like something as simple as the wings, right? Yeah. Um, should be pretty straightforward, but but there's at least a, a half a dozen sort of camps out there and, and folks who want to fight about this. Now, now, Audrey, when when you when you mentioned this, you're, I loved how you said that. It's either a, a number up or down, right? The, the wings are the, the numbers adjacent to yours. It's the numbers beside yours around the circle. So if you're an eight, Audrey, your wings would be seven and nine. Jeremy, if you're nine, your wings would be eight and one. And and and, and the various theories out there would, would say that, um, you know, first of all, there are some folks who who just don't believe in the wings. That, that That's just not part of understanding type. Interesting. Hmm. 
Um, my sense is that the Enneagram is a color wheel and, and that these numbers bleed yeah, into each yeah. other going around the circle. And, and, and my sense is, is that you can lean into either or both of these wings as they serve to support you bringing the best of yourself forward. And, and just like wings, we, we, I think we need both of them for balance. I, I think we need both of them for movement. That resonates. Yeah. Um, one of my teachers, Michael Goldberg, this is the man who, who, who saw the Enneagram show up in Homer's book, The Odyssey, and in Homer's nine stops on his way home in order, starting at point nine, counterclockwise around the circle. Um, Michael Goldberg says it's, it's there, and, and it really is. You can't, you can't unsee it. Well, Michael says that your clockwise wing is your ally point, and this is what you reach into to, to sort of pull the best parts of yourself out. And that your counterclockwise wing is your shadow point. This is where you've hidden some of the best parts of yourself oh, that need to be that, is that need really to be reintroduced. Interesting. Um, I have not you know, heard that. My my teacher, Father Richard, would say um, the more mature and, and 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 aware and centered you become, the less visible your dominant type is. The more visible your wings are. Um, and then you know, I in, in this really great. Um, little nerdy, but really great trade publication called the Enneagram Monthly. Um, there was a, a Colombian doctor a few years ago who put a, a, an article out there that said if he looked at your fingerprints, he could tell what your dominant type and your dominant wing are. Hmm. And uh, I think he tried to test it and prove it. And I was like, oh, this isn't real. And then I looked and I was like, no, he totally got he me. got it? Wow. So there's so many, there's so many ideas Crazy. out there. Yeah. But. I think your wings are, they just help, they just help enhance who you are. It's like a color wheel. It just brings more texture and depth and, and, and beauty forward. And, and so I say this to everybody, whatever theory, whatever, you know, idea that you, you find most practical and, and applicable to work with, start there, yeah. work with it until it no longer serves you and, and, and then see if there's something beyond that. Yeah. Good. That's really well put. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Very interesting. Wow. I, I so love what you, I love what you said about the clockwise and counterclockwise. Yeah. I never heard that. That was really good. Yeah. I feel like we could just, this is an endless conversation. Um, <laughs> because it's so useful. It's just so yes. helpful to yes. dive into kind of the, you know, the whys and hows of how we operate. Mm. And, and Audrey and, and Jeremy, one other gift in, in your relationship is that you, you, you share connections because that, that point nine will, will have an eight wing and that point eight will have a nine wing. And, and so there is going to be some natural yeah, and- unspoken yeah. understanding where you sometimes, um, just get it. And you may just even get it with a, a touch or a look. Um, totally. But you can grow in fluency even in that. You can can learn to, to even make those sort of nonverbal connections as you um, That's true. sort of scrub the action, accent of those off. Totally. That's so true. Well, Chris, so we know you've got a book, The Sacred Enneagram. Um, we'd love to, you know, have you just talk about that real quick for anyone that's listening. It's really a good dive in to, I would say kind of the more, I I don't want to say technical, but just in-depth aspects of the Enneagram. Uh, so, you know, you can talk about your book for just a moment, Chris, and also we'd love to hear any other books, podcasts, or people that you would suggest following or reading about if people are interested in learning more about the Enneagram. Sure. So I, um, so one of my teachers, Russ Hudson, will say this 
he'll he'll say something to the effect that the Enneagram is less about nine types of people, more about nine paths to God. Mm, and whoa. and I love that notion. And and so if it really is about nine paths to God, then then what are those? And so I spent several years trying to sort of test that to to sort of figure that out. And and, and I really thought that if you do come to understand the sense of your type, it shows you really, I think, the rails for how to to nurture and nourish your spirituality, to do your soul work, to to make your connections with with love and with God. And so, in the sacred enneagram, that's that's really what I, I'm up to. I, I'm trying to say, what are these nine unique paths to spiritual growth? What are these nine unique paths to, to finding your way home? And, and I think it's been really freeing for people. Right? Um, I sort of grew up in a typical. Uh, mega church where, you know, we, we'd walk in and it was 20 or 30 minutes of group karaoke. <laughs> um, they took oh, up gosh. a collection and we paid the cover. We listened to oh, a lecture gosh. and yeah, then yeah. sort of high-fived our way yeah, out. And that yeah. was it. Uh, and that didn't work for me. Like that, that is that a worked whole for a lot conversation. Of that did not work for me. Don't get Jeremy started um, on that one. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> so I'm trying to say like, once you know your type, that's great. But what do you do with it? And, and I'm suggesting you actually now take that into connecting back with, with, with love, with God, with your true self. And, and there's nine ways to do this. There's nine ways to get there. So there's, good. There, I don't have to do it like, like my wife does it. And, and she doesn't have to do it like some of our, our, our colleagues and community members do it. And that, and it's freeing and, and it reminds us how unique and dynamic and, 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 and special each of us are. So amen. Love try that. to do that. I try to make it really, really, really practical. Hmm. Awesome. So good. Well, thank you, Chris, so much. We have at the end of our podcast, we like to do this like rapid fire behind the scenes take on our guests. So if you'll humor us for a second, we have like three rapid fire questions that you can answer, like probably pretty quickly um, if you're up for it. Sure. <laughs> it's a little bit going into your dirty laundry. But no, no, <laughs> no. It's just useful. One of them's really useful. The other ones, yeah, they're all useful. So, Go for yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. So the first question is, what does your morning routine look like? Oh, man. I am a wreck in the morning. Um, <laughs> what's consistent is um, typically taking my puppy um, down to uh, one of the, the, the city parks in Midtown and, and letting him hunt around for rabbits. <laughs> And then I come the back and, and I'm, I am a diva about most of the things I eat. Like, like for fun, I will sometimes take um, chefs who are friends on street food tours of South and Southeast Asia. So I am very particular about how my eggs are prepared. And my dog is also very particular about how his eggs are prepared. So I make funny. eggs for me and my puppy and, oh. and Felina actually can't make it, make them for either of us. Oh my gosh. Uh, that is hilarious. So Almost the most. That is constant. that is a little diva. I love that. I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Funny. Okay. Question number two is: What is the best life hack that you've ever discovered? Oh man, um, yeah, that's a hard one. I do like I do like holding down the space bar on my iPhone and turning that into a mouse. What? What are you Wait. talking about? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's a game Stop changer. Stop pulling this up. I love pulling that this one. up right now. No way. But, uh, but Everyone, okay, okay, is that is a life hack. <laughs> Total. St- that's so funny because I'm sort of joking about that. Like that's my favorite no, little like handy trick. That's what we're asking. But I, I think my real life hack is just like leaning into friends, like mm. Mm, yeah. letting people 
be mirrors back to the parts of myself that I've forgotten or that I, I have a hard time accepting or, or finding compassion for. So Such a good, such <laughs> a good, a good that's answer. very Enneagram-esque of you. Yeah, no, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Last question is, we call this roses and thorns. So what is your rose and thorn from the week? Or in other words, what is like your high from the week and your low from the week? Hmm. Man, it's so I so I travel a lot with with my work. Like I'm I'm on about 130 flights a year. And so um so when I'm home, I I do I know this sounds stupid and I and I hate the person I've become. I even hate myself for saying this. <laughs> but my dog just reminds me what it means to be in the present moment that this moment actually matters and, and that in this moment there is the capacity for awareness and for love and and so I love I just it's so silly to say this no, that's good goofy but I love my dog I love being Aww. around this, this little that's guy. good that's awesome um the hard part of my week actually came up in my uh spiritual direction session with my uh, spiritual director the other day and um as usual it's it's what we 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 hate the most in someone else that we've unresolved in ourselves, <laughs> and um, I was having to to really, I felt like I was struggling to offer compassion for for this particular person who who we we had a misunderstanding, when in fact it's it's just the part of myself that that I still can't accept, and I for sure don't have compassion for. Hmm. So that's a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Chris. Chris, so this so has much. Been... It's been an absolute honor this has been really great and i feel like it's really useful for uh everyone listening so thanks where can our followers find you so you can um so the little nonprofit that that i run now it's called gravity it's a center for contemplative activism and we're simply just helping people who help people we're we're on the other side of the humanitarian work trying to work with activists practitioners human trafficking survivors and, and other folks trying to make the world a better place and so that's at gravitycenter.com. Um, you can find out where we're hosting Enneagram workshops and, and trainings at sacredenneagram.org. And uh, and you can see pictures, an obnoxious amount of pictures of my dog on Instagram. <laughs> there we <Yeah>. go. Okay. <laughs> That's the behind the scenes. That's what we want. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, again, it's been, it's been awesome. Thank yeah, you so thank much. Yeah, thank you, Chris, so much. For sure. Y'all are doing important work, so keep at Likewise. it. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for including me. Yeah. Thank you.